Welcome to the King's Cast, dynamic teaching recorded live at King's Church in Cambridge, England. We hope you are blessed and challenged by listening to the ministry today. And now, here's the broadcast. Father, I just thank you for this time. I thank you for the opportunity to share your word. I pray, Lord, that everything of me, you move out of the way now. Holy Spirit, come and move between us all. Come and minister to us all. Set your church ablaze, Lord Jesus. I just pray for freedom today. I pray for healing today. I pray for salvation today. And I pray for hearts to turn back to you, Lord, in a mighty way. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, I don't know about you. I've got a message for you, and it's called Time to Invite Jesus In. But if you think the Bible says he stands at the door and knocks, we have to open the door to our heart to receive him. We have to do that. Now, everybody in this room who's born again has done that. But does it just stop there? I don't believe it does. I believe in everyday situations, we should be inviting Jesus in. And it's not a case of when we sit down for breakfast in the morning saying, Lord, what, what cereal should I have? Cocoa, pops, or cornflakes? I don't mean in that way. But I mean in your burdens. How many people come to church and believe that it's a great Sunday morning because the hype's there? The, the worship was great, everybody's lifted, but then they go into the world on Monday and there's no hope. Shouldn't we be a people that come to church on a Sunday not for the hype, but for the hope to get us through Monday to Saturday? Yeah. So this will be a little bit of a different message because we are evangelists. We, I think hype just surrounds evangelists, but what it is, it's because they're so zealous for the Lord. They're so on fire to see people's lives transformed and changed, where this morning I want to show you how to invite Jesus in to our everyday situations. Put your hand up if you never struggle. That's great. You heard me the wrong way around. I'm going to give you the grace there. (laughs) Nobody's hand has gone up because everybody struggles. If you'd have put your hand up then and told me that you never struggled, I would have come and prayed for you straight away because there'd have been a little bit of a deception going on because everybody struggles. Put your hand up if you invite Jesus into every struggle. Almost. Almost. So at the end of this, I'm expecting 90% of the church to come out for prayer. Because you've just admitted to me that you don't invite Jesus into every situation. So that means we're in man's strength, trying to do God's work. And we're just struggling along. Let me give you some examples. If you can turn in your Bible to John chapter 2, and I'm going to read verses 1 to 11. And it's the wedding at Cana. So I'm going to read it fully first, and I'm going to break it down for us. So here it is. And I'll read from the New King James Version. Please forgive me if you don't read that version. But come with me at the end, and we'll have a debate on why I read that version. I'm just joking. (laughs) On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee. And the mother of Jesus was there. Now both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. And when they ran out of wine, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. Jesus said to her, woman, what does your concern have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, whatever he says to do. Now they were set. There was a set of six water stones and water pots of stone, according to the manner of the purification of the dunes, containing 20 or 30 gallons apiece. That's a lot of water. A lot of water. Jesus said to them, fill the water pots with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, draw some out now and take it to the master of the feast. And then they took it. When the master of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine and did not know where it had came from. And then in my Bible, it's got brackets, but the servants who had drawn it 
knew the water. They knew it was water. The masters of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, every man at the beginning sets out the good wine. And when the guests are well drunk, then the inferior, you have kept the good wine until now. This beginning the signs Jesus did in Canaan of Galilee and manifested his glory. And his disciples believed in him. Now, can I ask you a question? Why did Jesus attend the wedding? He didn't attend the wedding to perform the miracle. Why did he attend it? Because what? Maybe because he'd he'd have been thankful, but I believe he attended the wedding because he was invited. Now do you see where I'm going? Why do we struggle in our struggles when we can invite the King of Kings to come into our situation and he can come and help us? Jesus only attended this wedding. He had no intention of performing the miracle because he said, but he attended this wedding because he was invited. I want to share, before I break it down, I want to share a little personal testimony of when I had to invite Jesus into my own situation. My nana passed away last year in January. Now, she had Alzheimer's disease. She had a three-second memory, and then it was gone. So she could say, hello, Martin, how are you? Three seconds later, she would say again, hello, Martin, how are you? She only remembered certain members of our family. But my mum rang me one time, distraught. She was in hospital, and she'd just been diagnosed with pancreatic cancer, the size of a tennis ball that was in her back. And my mum rang me because my nana was brought up a Roman Catholic, but she never knew who Jesus was. Now, I'm not saying all Roman Catholics don't know who Jesus is. There are some spirit-filled Catholics. But my nana didn't know who Jesus was, and the fruit of her life showed me that as well. She wasn't a very nice lady. She wasn't a very nice lady to be around, and to my granddad, she was absolutely terrible. But my mum, Jesus' mum, my mum on this day rang me distraught and said, Maureen, what can we do? How are we going to share the gospel with nana? She's going to pass away. They've given her four weeks to live. How are we going to share the gospel with her? I had absolutely no answer for my mum. And you know that cut me to the core. Because this is my mum on the phone. The lady who brought me into the world. Asking for my help. And I had no answer. So I said, you're just going to have to leave it with me, mum. And I'll get back to you. That was basically me in my own strength thinking, I don't know. I'm just going to put the phone down. Because I can't hear the distraughtness in your voice anymore. You're my mum. And it's, it's actually hurting me to hear how sad you are in your voice. But the moment I put the phone down, I felt the Holy Spirit say to me, just invite me into the situation. And I got a little bit of hope. I thought, wow, if God wants me to invite him into this situation, surely he's going to move in this situation. So I did just that. I got on my knees. I invited Jesus into the situation. And I said, Lord, I don't know how you're going to do this. I don't know when you're going to do this. But I really need you to come into this situation. I invite you in like I invited you into my heart. Please make a way where there seems no way. That was my only prayer. I got back up and then in faith I rang my mum back. And I just said, mum, arrange me to come to Nana. Just with the two of us for ten minutes. I just want ten minutes with her. And my mum said, okay, I'll make it happen. We had a large family. Very large family. And their mum's just been diagnosed with it. She's only got four weeks to live. To get around the bed, there was probably six or seven of us at a time. Around the bed. But I knew I needed to be alone. I needed just, just to have time with Nana. And my mum said, I'll arrange it. I said, okay, I'll tell you when I need it arranged. And I said, but we need to do it at the drop of a hat. I said, so prepare the family. Can I just say most of my family aren't saved? Most of my family aren't saved. I'm the first Christian in my family. My brothers, and there's been a revival in my family, obviously, because of when I was disabled. But a lot of my uncles and aunties aren't saved. My nana's parents, they're not saved. Most of them come to our impact. We can get filled with the baptism of the Holy Spirit under this man's ministry only three weeks ago. 
three weeks ago. One of them was my mum, and one of them was my dad. That's how new Christians they are. But my mum believed me. She believed me, and I just, I just said to her, I'm going to invite Jesus in, mum. I'm going to invite Jesus in. So she said, okay. So then I prayed, and I prayed, and I prayed, and I felt nothing. I didn't hear anything, but I just knew I had to hold on to the fact that God had told me to invite him into the situation. My circumstances wasn't going to dictate to what God had told me. Please, today, don't let your circumstances dictate what God has told you. Because you know your circumstances can lie to you. Facts aren't always faith. The facts may say one thing, but faith says another. The facts may say my nana doesn't have a, my nana doesn't have a memory, but faith says, you know what, I'm going to make a way where there seems no way. That's what I'm going to hold on to, the faith, that there's going to be a way that can be no way. And then I felt a lovely thing in prayer. I felt the Holy Spirit say to me, today is the day, now is the time. So I rang my mum. I said, mum, today is the day. I just completely said back what I'd felt. Today is the day and now is the time. Mum said, no problem, now is the time, I'll make the way. My mum was at the hospital. She cleared that room out. As I walked into the hospital, which was about a five-minute drive from my house, as I walked into the hospital, I felt the Holy Spirit say, just sit down. So I did. I sat on a bench. And now I'm like questioning myself. Did I hear right? Is it today? Really, I was letting the circumstances dictate my faith. And I was like, did I hear right? Is it today? Should I really be at the hospital now? And then I felt the Holy Spirit say, now. I got up off that bench and I was ready. And I walked into my Nana's room. And as I walked in there, this is how I went. She went, hello, Martin, how are you? I said, I'm good, Nana. She said, shall we go for a coffee? I said, no, Nana. She went, hello, Martin, how are you? I said, I'm good, Nana. Shall we go for a coffee? And by now I'm thinking, wow, the facts are telling me this is impossible. So I started to pray in tongues. My Nana said to me, what are you doing? I said, don't worry about it. I didn't worry because I knew three seconds later she's going to forget. I wouldn't normally pray in tongues with people that aren't saved. I'm just being real with you. I knew she was going to forget. I needed my faith to arise. I needed it to go through that hospital ward like never before. And this went on for about 20 minutes. But then she looked at me. Now, my nana, like I said at the beginning, was not very nice to my granddad. She looked at me, and I seen the first tear come down her face. And she said, Martin, I was so cruel to your granddad. I was very close to my granddad. So I saw it firsthand how she was. But instead of joining the pity party, because if you've noticed, pity parties are only for one. You never invite your friends. Because if you invited your friends, they'd tell you to man up or they'd pray for you. So when you have a pity party, it's only for one until you invite Jesus in. Then it becomes a celebration because he sets you free. But with my nana, I just said, okay, it's okay, nana. I said, I know. She said, what can I do? I said, well, and I shared Jesus with her. And I shared about repentance. And she said to me, I need to ask for forgiveness for the way that I treated your granddad. Bear in mind, my granddad had been dead at this point, 15 years. But she knew it was important to ask for forgiveness for the way that she treated him. So she did. And I led her through a prayer. And I led her through the sinner's prayer. And in tears, in my eyes and in her eyes, her mind was completely sound for 10 minutes. So if you've got people in your family that's got Alzheimer's, don't give up. If they don't know who Jesus is, Jesus will make a way. Do not give up. Don't let your facts determine your faith. And then I just carried on with Nana. The greatest thing then was the doctors came in behind me. And they said, I don't know what you've done. I don't know how you've done it. But tell her what's wrong with her because we can't and we need her to know what's wrong with her. So I got to tell her a condition. I got to pray for her as well. 
And I got to say, don't be afraid. Don't worry. And my nana said, it's okay. I want to go home. I said, that's fine, nana. We'll make arrangements to take you home. My mum was my nana's carer. So you can imagine that desperation at the beginning of the first conversation with me from my mum. She was my nana's carer as well. So I saw my nana every day and saw the torment in my mum's eyes. But she said, I want to go home. I said, well, we'll make it happen, nana. And then I said, well, don't be afraid. I said, because there's going to come a day very soon when I'm going to be very godly jealous of you. And she looked at me with something in her eyes. She said, why would you be godly jealous? Because there's going to be a day when you're going to stand with Jesus. And it's coming. I said, because, Nana, your body is failing you. Your mind has failed you. But Jesus has stepped into your circumstance today, and he has saved you. So don't be afraid to die. Do not be afraid to die, because he'll be waiting for you. Because the Bible says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. This was the faith I needed to keep me going, to say this to my nana. I knew my nana was going to die. Everything inside of me was dying as well. But Jesus is the hope of the world. Where I have no hope, he is my hope. And I invited him into the situation. And then it was wonderful because I knew my moment had gone. The deal was done. Jesus had invited in. And he'd answered my prayers and he had set my nana free. Because she looked me in the eye and said, but it's okay. Tell Jesus he's going to have to wait because I'm not quite ready yet. And then she said to me, hello, Martin, how are you? Shall we go for a coffee? My nana was saved and she died last January. And I know she's with the Lord. And that is the greatest peace I can ever have. All because, all because I invited Jesus in. Now I want to break down that, that scripture that we read at the beginning for you. I won't take too long because... I really believe that many people, and I do believe this with all my heart, like Phil said, are very good at hiding what's really going on, are very good at hiding where they really are struggling, where I believe the church is a hospital. I do. You came in this morning, you didn't feel too good, you should leave here feeling amazing. Not because of us, not because of your pastor, not because of anything, but because Jesus is here. And he wants you to be free. He wants you to walk down the street with your head so high that people that you meet say, hey, there's something different about you. What is it? But you've got to invite him. He's a gentleman. If you're suffering with depression, you've got to say, Jesus, I invite you into this situation. Because if we think about the Bible, let's look at depression for one second. Now, I've never suffered with depression, but my wife did. My wife committed, tried to commit suicide so many times. I watched her bang her head off a wall so hard to block out the pain. And I actually found her one day after her taking tablets and took her to the hospital. So I witnessed something. When I was first saved, I read in the Psalms that we are to meditate upon our bed day or night and the good things of God. The enemy is so deceitful and he can't do anything for himself. So something that was so good for the believers to do, go to your room where it's quiet. Come and pray to me. Let me give you the strength and let me keep you going. Come and lie on your bed. And let me just be your friend and lie next to you. Let me be the father that you deserve. Let me give you the hope. What did the enemy do? Most people that are depressed, they go to their bed for three or four days because they can't face the world because they feel so much shame, so much pain. So something that God used for something good to meditate upon, the enemy keeps you there in your shame. And you lie on your bed and instead of thinking how good God is, you think how bad you are, how self-worth you are, how useless you are, how rubbish you are. Shouldn't you just kill yourself and you pull the blanket over your head? Well, let's just abandon that and say, that's a lie. Because you're none of those things. Because you are fearfully and wonderfully made and you are unique. God didn't make any mistakes when he made you. There is no mistakes in this room. I don't care if your parents have told you that. You're not a mistake. 
You're fearfully and wonderfully made and you have a plan and a purpose for your life. Today is the day when you can accept that. But you've got to invite Jesus in. Do you get the theme? You've got to invite Jesus in. The moment you got saved, you had to invite Jesus in. Today is your day. Whatever your circumstances say. Let's have a look at the scripture. So this is how Jesus opens the passage. On the third day, there was a wedding at Cana of Galilee. And the mother of Jesus was there. Now both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. At this moment in time, just like in John 4, when Jesus sat down, a bit like your pastor is now, because he's weary, because we've ran him ragged for a few days, and he's ran us ragged, trust me. (laughs) He sat down to take a rest, because our bodies need to rest. At this moment in time, Jesus isn't there for a rest, but he is there because he's invited. The Bible is so significant in saying that. The Holy Spirit has made sure that the writer has wrote that Jesus and the disciples was there because they was invited. And then it says, and they ran out of wine. The mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. Do you notice how the Bible says, the mother of Jesus said to him. Let's watch Jesus' response. Why did his mom say that? Mary said they had no wine because one, I believe that this is a family. It's a wedding. They're there because they're invited. So they're close to this couple. They're close. Which means Mary doesn't want the couple to have the shame. She doesn't want them to have the pain of people, you know what the world's like when they leave the wedding? Man, they ran out of wine five hours from the end of the wedding. Come on, it's the world. That's what they're going to do. Can you believe it? They must be so poor. They can't even give us a drink till the end. That's the world. Where negativity is, there comes gossip. Where gossip is, there comes sin. Where sin is, there comes shame or pride. Maybe Mary didn't want them to suffer a bit of loss of pride. I don't know. But Jesus' response was amazing. Jesus said to a woman, I don't know about you, but if I said to my mom when she's asked me a question, woman, I would be grounded at 40. I would now have my PlayStation took off me. Even though I'm married in my own home, I would still be grounded. Doing the dishes after a Sunday when I go there for my dinner. That was the punishment in my house. I was always good. Until we got a dishwasher. But that's another story. (laughs) Jesus said to a woman, what does your concern have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. So he still wasn't there to perform a miracle in turning water into wine. Look what Mary did next. Because she now realizes, wow, the boy I gave birth to, that I had a revelation of at the very beginning before I even conceived him, was going to be the Messiah has now just distinguished himself as. He's took away that mother connection. He's now the son of God. And he's standing. Now Mary has a revelation of who he now is. Wow, she's now not talking to her son. She's talking to the Messiah. So she knows what she's got to do. And look at what she did. It's amazing. Oh. His mother said to the servants, whatever he says to you to do, do it. Now there were six water pots of stone according to the manner of purification of Jews containing 20 and 30 gallons apiece. First thing is what people think are dirty, Jesus is about to make clean. What's dirty in your life that you need Jesus to be invited in to make clean today? Because he will. Because he will. He breaks down every barrier, every culture, every circumstance, everything that's in your head now. Do you know the funniest thing is we do this all around the world? And I love the Sunday mornings when we get to preach. 
Because I see where people really are at with Jesus. Do you know why? Because in your heart now, it's quickening. As you're realizing there's things and issues in your life where you need to invite Jesus in. But in your head, the enemy's saying, you don't need to do that. When he makes an altar call later, you stay in your chair. You don't need to get out. Do you know why? The moment you get out of your chair and come to the front, it's not to see how popular we are or how well we've preached. What you're actually doing is saying, devil, get off me. I'm walking into the light and I'm going to my Jesus. And you know what he's doing? He's got to stay behind you. He can't walk with you because you've just put it in the light. What illness do you have in your body that you're not telling anyone of? What area do you suffer with that you don't tell anyone with? I'm so grateful for these brothers. I am. Because I know anything in my life that I'm really struggling with, I can go to these and it's safe and I can confess it no matter what. If it's my sin, if it's where I'm struggling, if it's an issue with my wife, if it's an issue with my kids, I can go to these and confess it. The moment I confess it, I put the light on it. The enemy can't use it anymore. That baseball bat that he's just been hitting me with saying, you're no good. You call yourself a Christian? You struggle in life, yet you're supposed to be spirit-filled? That bat that he just hits us with, that depression, those things like that. Let me give you a big one for me, which you can see. I, I, I preach with my belly sucked in. <laughs> I lost a lot of weight because I had a revelation. John took me to Slovakia, and I really struggled by the end of it with how much fitness I didn't have. I didn't have. And then I realized I was going home and eating crisp and chocolate when my wife had gone to bed. Then in the morning, I'd eat then a big breakfast. So my wife would go to bed, I'd go to the pantry. I wasn't even hungry, but I got myself into a routine. Yeah, under my stairs. We still got them in our house in Burton. So I'd made a promise with my lips that I was going to be fitter for him. Not for the world, not for my wife, not for anything vain. That I was going to be fitter for him to be able to use me in the way he wants to use me. And guess what he said to me? You're never alone, son. As you're grabbing those crisps, there's always three witnesses. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. So you don't eat them alone, even though you think you're doing it sneakily. I've never gone back to the pantry to this day. And if I have, I go when my wife's awake. So she can say to me, I thought you was just... uh, trying to watch a little bit so you were fitter. But what area in your life today that's in your heart right now that's pulling you, that you think nobody knows about, that you think you've got to walk it alone? Let's not do it in a shameful, sinful way. Let's do it that you think you've got to walk it alone. That thing that happened to you when your father, when you was little, those words that they said to you at school that you're not good enough, the bullying, that you carried the shame in. Can I just say you was never alone? God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit was always there. What he's waiting for you to do now is say, Lord, just take this pain away. I invite you into the hurt. Because nobody can heal a heart other than Jesus Christ. But you've got to invite him in. I stand at the door and knock. I stand on the edge of your depression, please invite me in. I stand on the edge of your stress, please invite me in. I stand on the edge of your illness, please invite me in. Don't design yourself with failure. Your identity is not in failure. Your identity is not in sin. Your identity is not in anything other than Christ. You're the apple of his eye. He wants to heal you. He wants to. But he also wants you to give it him. How many people go to the doctors and receive a bad report? And then the first thing they do when they come out is take ownership of it. I have cancer. I have a blood disorder. I have psoriasis. I have arthritis. I have 
rheumatism. Okay, let's not be in denial. They may be the things that you're struggling with, and I have complete compassion for you. But I'm going to come from a position of where I got my healing. The doctors say I am disabled. My Jesus says I am free. The doctors say I have disabled. My Jesus says I'm healed. The blood of Jesus Christ. It's amazing when you go to the doctors, the first thing they do if you can't have anything physically with the eye wrong with you, let's take some blood. Let's take some blood. It'll tell me everything about you in the blood. How about, let me declare the blood of Jesus over your life because the atoning power was in the blood. Your healing's in the blood. Your freedom's in the blood. Your deliverance is in the blood. Everything you need is in the blood. So don't let the doctor take your blood. Just tell them whose blood you're under. But we love doctors. We have one on the team. So we're not working in denial. Let's go back to what it says. Now his instruction was different. Why? Because Mary had asked the servants to go. Yeah? Matthew 20, verse 28 says, Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. The greatest thing that Jesus ever did was serve himself up upon the cross for you and for me. But he came to serve. Mary had a revelation of this. So she sent him the servants. And what did he do? He moved. He moved in compassion. It changed everything. It changed everything. She'd now had the revelation of he's not actually at this moment in time, he's not acting as my son, he's the son of God. So I need to send the people he moves for, the servant-hearted, the humble, the meek, the ones that have come to serve, not be served. Yeah. It's a great revelation when you can get hold of it. Jesus came to serve, not to be served. I believe that when Jesus moves anywhere in the world where I am, it's in compassion. But servant-heartedness moves compassion. If you have compassion for somebody, it's because you want to serve them. Whether you choose to serve them or not is another matter. But can I just tell you, if you did choose to serve them, say Phil's asking for volunteers and nobody gets involved. But say you did. I guarantee you Jesus will give you the strength to do whatever he's asking you to do. Where are you at school? When the hands go up, they need people to put the chairs back. Go and serve. In college, go and serve. In your home, go and serve. When I go home from here, I'm going to serve my wife because she's had my kids. So tomorrow morning, I'll get up with the children. I'll get them ready for school. I'll take them to school so my wife can have a lie-in because while I've been here, she's been holding the home. I'll go back to serve her. But in doing that, Jesus will step in. Any situation, I believe that I'll see somebody at the school tomorrow and get saved. There's always a divine appointment. I don't do anything without wanting Jesus to move in my life. But in order for me to do that, I have to invite him in. So again, where do you need to invite him in? Which neighbor are you praying for? It's okay praying for them, but invite them for coffee. Pray for their salvation, but then do something. Invite them around for a coffee so you can show them Jesus. Which area of the streets are you praying for? Cambridge shall be saved. Then move your feet. Go out there and show them Jesus. My auntie will be healed. Lay hands upon them. And expect. The Bible says you shall lay hands upon the sick and they will recover. Not they may do. Not they might. They will recover. But can I just tell you something? Don't ever be afraid after you've laid hands on them. If you don't see instant healing, don't believe it's not done. Because the Bible says, you shall lay hands upon the sick and you will be covered. Uh, They will recover. If you believe you save, you should believe that too. Because it's the same blood that heals you. It's the same blood that frees you and sets you free. 
So if you believe that you're saved, if you believe that you're saved, you believe that they're healed. Let's look at it. As you serve, Jesus will draw near to you. People all around the world are praying for a move of God. Can I let you into a little secret? Shall I show you a move of God? It's so simple. Just move my feet. Because Jesus lives within me. So if I'm praying for a move of God, I need to be the mover. When Peter first stepped out of the boat, when he stepped out for that first time, everybody thinks that that first foot was easy. I disagree. Because if he's anything like me, and I'm accused of being like Peter quite a lot. I don't know why. But if he's anything like me, I'd have put that first foot down. It'd just been my toe. My weight would have been in the boat. My other foot's planted fixed in the boat. At this moment, it's just my toe. Because that's just like a word of knowledge, or it's just like somebody in your life who you know needs to hear the truth of Jesus Christ and needs to hear the gospel. You just dip in your toe because you're afraid to go, you know what, I've got the answer for you. His name is Jesus Christ. Yeah, they may reject you. They may push you away. Do you know what? I've got the answer for you in that illness. Let's not deny what the doctors have said, but let's believe for best for you. Let's not deny that that's your condition, but let's not let our facts outweigh our faith. Because facts aren't always the truth. Faith will always point the facts in the right direction of Jesus. Because you know the enemy tries to make you believe fact. You're not good enough. If you've took that into your heart and you're holding that in your heart, you're believing the fact. But is that faith? No. Is it truth? No. Because if you're fearfully and wonderfully made, then you're unique. Then you're special. Then you're an amazing person. Yeah, you may have fallen into sin. Yes, you may have done those things. But you're still fearfully and wonderfully made. The Bible doesn't lie. Jesus still wants you. Have you seen the army? We want you. Well, Jesus is like, we want you. I want you. I want you. I want all your shame. I want all your pain. I want all your depression. I want all your deliverance. I want all your chains that you think you're wrapped up in because I'm going to set you free. Because when I set you free, I'm going to send you to set other people free. But first you believe it for yourself. So let's go from natural to supernatural. At this moment in time, Peter's still natural. His toe's just tipping. The very moment he moves this left leg, I'm right-legged, as you can tell. Peter may have been left-legged. But the very moment he moves this left leg and does that, is the very moment God says, you've got to the end of yourself. You are naturally supernatural. Because the moment he puts that foot down, do you think he'd have gone, wow. I believe he went, okay, let's walk. And then he fixes his eyes on Jesus. The Bible's very clear. He fixes his eyes on Jesus. What's your situation today? You need to invite him in and fix your eyes on Jesus. What's your situation? What's your pain? What's your burden? What's your shame? What's your pride? Which area of your life do you need to give Jesus because you're a little bit too churchy over it? Where we say we have to have it all together. Where we say if we haven't got it all together, how can we reach people? It's not true. If you've got it all together, man, come and spend time with me. I need to rub off on you, and you need to rub off on me. Because I haven't got it all together. But I know somebody that has. And I put my trust in him. And every day the Bible says, pick up your cross. You don't ever add to the word of God. But my prayer life is, Lord, I pick up my cross today, and I invite you into every situation. Good or bad. Good or bad. If I sin, please tell me so I keep short accounts with you and keep moving forward in forgiveness. Because the moment you stop moving forward in forgiveness, the enemy owns you. The enemy has your life. But if you keep moving forward, just like Peter did, and he walked, 
kept his eyes fixed on Jesus. He's, now he's facts. Fact is, who's tried to walk on water? Or am I the only crazy one that's tried it? I sank. Yeah, come on, brother. Come on, there's always two of us. <laughs> but I sank. My facts said, you can't walk on water. Peter's facts said, you can't walk on water. But he fixed his eyes on Jesus and he listened to the command and he walked on water. He naturally became supernatural. Your facts are saying other things today. You invite Jesus in, you become naturally supernatural. Because there's no circumstance, there's no situation that you invite Jesus in. That If you invite him with a sincere heart, with a heart of, Lord, I need you right now to come into this situation. I guarantee you, he will come. He will come. You might not like the outcome because he might highlight a few things that you need to get rid of. But if you've had enough of it, he'll come. So just invite him. And he walked. But what I love about that story is when he took his eyes off Jesus, he sank. And Jesus didn't go mad at him. He just bent down and picked him up. Now, the Bible doesn't recall that he picked him up, put him on his shoulders and walked back. So I believe he turned him round and said, well done, son. You gave it a go. Where's your dreams today that you've been on fire for the Lord, but the, the enemies let, allowed something in and put them out? Somebody's thoughts have put that dream out. Imagine Hannah in the Bible, if she'd have had that, she asked for more than what she got. She asked for one kid, she got five. Be careful what you ask for. With a sincere heart, you get it. Be careful what you ask for. But Peter, he spun him round, and it says they walked back. They climbed back in the boat, and they had a party. Now, that's the good hype of the church, because that's the hype of the church that the hope will come from. Not the hype of the worship needs to be this loud, the smoke screen needs to be like this, and all those things, no. The worship, yeah, helps. And if it's good, it takes you into the presence. But don't allow the worship to dictate your experience. Because when you come into church, no matter what, you should be able to worship yourself into the presence of the king. We go all over the world, and I have no idea what they're singing. So I just sing in tongues. I've learned that from Jonathan. If nobody else is enjoying it, I just have a party on my own. Because I tell you what, I feel great at the end of it. So what am I saying? The wedding at Cana. They invited Jesus. He turned up. Today, please don't leave this building without what you need Jesus to turn up in. You never hear many preachers say this, but think of it now. If you suffer with depression, think of it and say, Lord, come in. I invite you into that situation. Whatever your circumstances are, don't let them dictate you. Invite him in. Because then what happens? You've come to church because you've already invited him into your heart. Or if in a minute you'll have an opportunity to. But you're here, which means God's got an appointment for you. It's not because we're good preachers. It's not because the building's great. It's not because the worship's great. It's because God's got you. Like I said at the beginning, he wants you. You could have gone to any other church this morning, but you didn't. You came here. That means that there's something in the message that you need to hear. It depends what specs you're wearing. He wants you today. He wants to set you free. But he's waiting for you to just say, I can't do this anymore. I invite you in. Come on in, Jesus. That job situation doesn't always have to be something that's negative. You know, that job situation, you're not sure about that deal. You're not sure whether it's the right thing. Lord, I give it to you. Direct my steps. Guide me in what you want me to do. Help me be the person to help the people who work for me. John has to put up with some things from all of us. I can guarantee you that. There'll be some things that we do that really annoys him. There will be. It's because he's human. But does he come to us and whack us? No. Does he correct us? Yes. If it's biblical, he'll correct us. 
If it's attitude, he'll correct us. But if it's character, he prays for us. I know that because he's done it for me many times. Because I have a sleepless night where the Holy Spirit's kept me up, revealing things to me. I'll come to John in the morning and I'll say, man, I've had a weird night. And he'll go, yeah, you had this, this, and this. And I'm like, how do you know? I've stopped looking at him sometimes when I'm dealing with things. Just so I can sleep at night. So we don't invite the Holy Spirit in to, you know, correct me. But I am, how amazing if that, if you can have people in your life that you can go to and say, I'm really struggling in this area. And yeah, sometimes it's sin. Sometimes we're eating a little bit too much. Sometimes our attitude's a little bit off. Sometimes we're being one thing on a Sunday and something else on a Monday. But we invite Jesus in. He'll change your situation. Let's just finish the scripture because it's amazing. And he said to them, draw some, some, out, some out now and take it to the master of the feast. And they took it. When the master of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine and did not know where it had came from. And then again, it's in the brackets. But the servants who had drawn the water knew. All those people that are in your life that don't see what Jesus is doing behind the scenes. But you know. But you know. Just because other people don't see what Jesus is doing, don't believe he's not moving. Imagine the cross. Good Friday, the enemy thought he'd finished him. There was a silent Saturday, bang in the middle, where everybody, even some of the followers of Jesus, thought, wow. But what they forgot is he'd said, I will raise back up in three days. I will rebuild this temple in three days. Because on the Sunday, on the road to Emmaus, there was two people that were going. They didn't even wait till the end of Sunday. So they'd already let Saturday dictate their Sunday. But what they didn't realize, Jesus was working behind the scenes on the Saturday. Because Adam had given authority to Satan. And death belonged to him. So why why everybody didn't think Jesus was working on the Saturday, the silent Saturday, he was working on your behalf. He was taking eternity back. He went right down and went, hey, surprise, here I am in death. Now give me those keys. And he took the keys of Hades back and he came back. Then he rose back to life on the Sunday. That's for you and me, for eternity. What area in your life today do you need resurrecting? Maybe yesterday was your silent Saturday where God was working on your behalf and today is your resurrection day. I know it was a few day, weeks ago, but what if it's today? It was last week. What if every Sunday can be resurrection Sunday? What if you have a mentality of, man, I really struggled in this area this week, but on Sunday I'm going to be resurrected because Jesus is going to come and give it me back. He's going to come and give it me back. He's going to come and give me the keys back. He's going to come and resurrect my heart. He's going to take away the hurt. He's going to take away the shame. He's going to take away the pain. So when he's working silently on your behalf, all you have to do is say, Jesus, come and do it again. Come and do it again. Because there will be times in your life when it's a struggle. There'll be times on your life when you really are in a battle. But if you go to the back of the book, he's already won. And the battle doesn't belong to you. It belongs to the Lord. But if you hold on to it, you make it your battle. But if you surrender it and give it to Jesus, he has to be what the Bible says. Because he is faithful. And his promises are yes and amen. So he will fight that battle. You fight it on your knees. Because as you're fighting it on your knees, you're serving him. Because that's what he calls us to do in the secret place. And I guarantee he'll draw near to you. He'll draw near to you. He'll give you the strength you need for tomorrow. He'll give you the hope that you need for tonight. But you've got to give it to him. Oh, I love you, Lord. Let's finish it. This is the best part. The master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, 
Every man at the beginning sets out the good wine, and when the guests are well drunk, then the inferior. You have kept the good wine until now. This beginning of the signs that Jesus did in Canaan of Galilee and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. Look how it finished. Everything that Jesus did on that day was for one purpose, not to save them from shame or pride, so his disciples would believe. So his disciples would believe in him. Today is your day. Now is your moment. If you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, give him your situation. Can we have the keys just for a minute? Is that okay? If you believe in Jesus Christ, give him your situation now. Now I'm going to say a prayer. Because guess what? If you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, or you've never given your heart to him in a way that I was just talking about, today is your moment. Today is your moment. I don't believe that everybody who comes to church knows Jesus. That's a bit controversial, I know. But I've learned. I didn't grow up in church. Now I've learned I go to many churches and they know when to raise their hands. They know when to say amen. They know when to move forward. But then they go out on the Monday and they know how to walk in the world. Imagine if today is your resurrection day when you have the strength to stand tomorrow and say, no, today is a new defining day. And I'm going to stand for Jesus Christ. I'm going to invite him into my situation. I'm going to let him come in and resurrect some hope in my heart. I'm going to give him that depression because I'm no more going to have a pity party for one. I'm going to invite him in so he can take it away for good. Yes, it's going to be tough. And yes, it's going to be difficult. But you're never going to do it alone. Like I said at the beginning, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Do you know when you run a marathon and you see the relay? They always hold the baton back. They don't believe, they don't turn around because they'd fall on their face. (laughs) But they believe that the person behind is going to take the baton. But do you know what? They never let go of it. If you watch it, they don't let go of it for the first few seconds. If they do, they drop it. They wait until they know it's secure. Today, I want to challenge you. Give Jesus your baton, but don't let go. Hold his hand. So give him your depression. Give him your stress. Give him the abuse that you may have suffered. Give him everything. Because I guarantee you, he will walk life with you. He will never leave you hanging. Never. He may let you go through a difficult time, but it's because he's loving. But if you hold on to the baton, and he holds on to the baton, you'll never be alone again. You may feel alone now, but that's not the best for you. You may feel sad now, but that's not the best for you. You may have no joy, but that's not the best for you. The best for you is Jesus Christ. He came, he died, he rose again. He came and shed his blood for the forgiveness of my sin, for the forgiveness of your sin. Thank you for listening, and we trust that the Word of God has inspired you today. For further information about King's Church, or to access our large archive of other recordings, go to www. .kingscambridge.org If you're listening on iTunes, we would love you to leave us some feedback. God bless and goodbye.